This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly. As we asked yesterday, they couldn't, could they? No. Real Madrid eased past Liverpool into the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Perhaps for a fleeting second after another flying Allison save, you thought the Reds might do something, but it was never really a fair contest. Milner and Fabinho versus Cruz, Modric and Camavinga isn't fair. And now fourth place is all Liverpool have. Meanwhile, Los Blancos could win it again because they generally win this. Napoli make the quarters for the first time in their history and you wouldn't want to draw them in the next round, Brian. In the Premier League, Solly March scores in the 15th minute on the 15th of March. Is it a sign? Meanwhile, Palace don't score in any minute for the fourth game running. Is that a sign? Ivan Tony inspires Brentford to victory at Southampton. Will he get in the England squad? I wouldn't bet on it. There's an FA Cup preview, some love for Philippe's choice of font. Your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Mark Langdon, welcome. Hi, Max. Hello, Nicky Bandini. Morning. And hello, Jonathan Faduba. Good day, Max. Uh, good day. Uh, uh, so let's start at the Bernabeu then. Uh, Real Madrid won Liverpool nil. Colin Miller tweeting the journalist. Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool in Champions League knockout ties, including finals, against non-Madrid teams, played 11-1-11. Against Madrid teams, played five, lost five. It's a baffling statistic. Johnny Lou was at the Bernabeu, and here is five minutes of him chatting away about two hours after full-time. Hi, this is Jonathan Liu. Uh, it's quarter to one in the morning in Madrid, just back from the Bernabeu. Real Madrid won, Liverpool nil. Second leg, Real Madrid against Liverpool, Champions League last 16. You're thinking, well, this is, this is going to be a great occasion. It wasn't really a great occasion. It was a curiously low-stakes game because, you know, the, you know, the, the toss had kind of already been decided at, at Anfield. And, yeah, it's a bit of an anticlimax in the end. You know, Sid, Sid wrote in, in his report that you know, it kind of feels like the, the, the team that Liverpool were... Have, have kind of gone and it, it sort of feels that way you know the transition's clearly already started in terms of personnel but it, it is another reminder I think of how far away from the level that you know that they were and they're used to and, and the standards that they, that, that they set I mean I, I wrote in my piece that there's a kind of late Arsene Wenger era decadence to them they're trying to score the perfect goal all the time they're just playing the extra pass. They're taking the extra touch. They're trying to they're trying to craft the perfect opening. That to me is the hallmark of a team that has has almost kind of lost sight of of what it is that it's trying to do or, or how it was so potent in the in, in the past. And is almost trying to preserve. It's, it's almost trying to argue an idea. It's trying to rediscover the, the principles that that made it great without ever really getting a grasp on the fundamentals that, that, that made them such a potent force. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a, a really strange, really strange game. A bit of an anticlimax, I guess. Um, but the flight was booked and, and the hotel was booked and, and, and I am here. So uh, I've actually had to come outside because it's quite noisy in the place that we're in. So um, there we are. There we are. Thank you, Johnny, for doing that. And uh, we wondered, Jonathan, if Liverpool could do it and they categorically couldn't. As, as Johnny actually wrote in his match report, this is a sport of such fine margins. And ultimately, those five goals in 46 minutes are really going to cost you at this level. Yeah, they're going to cost you. I think it's Liverpool's worst ever defeat in the European two-legged game. So pretty bad destruction, to be honest, when you deconstruct it all. It was strange to see them playing never, you'll never walk alone at the end of the match. I don't know if that was kind of like mocking or if it was kind of like a tribute. Not sure. Seemed a bit strange. The game itself kind of felt bit flat. I thought that Madrid kind of just controlled the game for large spells, but weren't really that sharp. I thought Benzema and Vinicius Jr. were kind of um, a little bit, not wasteful, but just the final touch wasn't quite there. You know, little things like bump, things bumping off their chins or their you know, shots just not, not being on target or final ball being a bit, um, you know, just not quite there. So it could have been a, maybe a bigger margin of defeat, I thought. But um, Liverpool did have a few chances themselves, started fairly well. But I think the balance, you know, with up front, just wasn't quite right in midfield with Milner. They kind of struggled maybe to keep keep up with Camavinga. I thought Camavinga was the man of the match. Uh, I thought he was outstanding. Once again, the young Frenchman. And I think the the one thing I'd, I'd sort of say is maybe I'm a little bit surprised this season how little Sadio Mane's got a mention because I feel like 
in that sort of early period of the game where, you know, Liverpool might have made a comeback, he, he's the one that I just thought of as the one who has that cutting edge and that thrust that Liverpool used to have so, so well over the years. And they just kind of lacked that. They didn't, you know, Gakpo, it was decent, but the shots he had were kind of straight at Courtois. And I just felt that I was wondering to myself, like, why Mane isn't really talked about at all as a reason why Liverpool have kind of dropped this season. But he, he was the one in Europe who always sort of brought that cutting edge and that, that real killer instinct, I thought. Um, but, but yeah, obviously he's, uh, he's long departed and Liverpool are going home. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Sid wrote in his report, Mark, you know, it's not that Liverpool played badly as such. They just weren't, weren't good enough. Perhaps they are not good enough. And that is, I guess that's what's interesting now is, is how have Liverpool got from playing in every game last season and therefore really being quite as close to a quadruple almost as you could be and now being, you know, just sort of chasing on the, on the edge of the top four race and nothing else. Yeah, I, I do think that... Um that Liverpool had reached a stage where Klopp felt that the team needed to be freshened up and he was probably right because as good as Mane and Salah are and, and were together, um, at some stage you were going to have to break that up um, just because, um, you know, financially it wouldn't have made much, you know, any sense to keep going. They decided that Salah was the one um, that, that would get the new contract. I suppose the fact that there was a decent enough offer for Mane out there um, meant that they they had to refresh. I'm not sure in, in terms of Liverpool individually because of one person's gone or this person's injured or whatever it is just systematically it feels like that there's um, that, that there's been a drop off um, and Klopp nearly always talks about the collective when when things go right and when they go wrong as to kind of um, Liverpool's you know strengths and weaknesses and they, they they did start this game, well, this tie, very well. They were 2-0 up mm. after 15 minutes. And at that stage, I don't think anybody was saying, you know, oh, Liverpool are gone, it's finished. Um, and they, they had a bad hour, really, where, where Real Madrid toyed with them. I, I felt like in, in this second game, you know, Real Madrid were never really out of second gear and always had them, you know, exactly where they wanted them. He went with the four forwards, and I understand why Klopp did that because you know he felt like they needed to win the first half, and then that puts pressure on Real Madrid, gives Liverpool the belief. But actually, when you go in with four forwards essentially, and you are allowing Real Madrid to control midfield um, with Modric, Camavinga, and, and Tony Crows, that becomes a problem. And you can have as many attackers on on the pitch as you want if you haven't got that kind of you know if you haven't got the ball, you, you, you're going to struggle to score goals. And um, it was maybe. If you think back to what the team selection could have been, maybe he should have played like a normal, um, inverted commas, Liverpool formation and seen if they could have got, got the ball and, and just tried to play, uh, yeah, j- just a normal game and see where they were after an hour. Instead, they that they went, it was, I mean, it was down on the team sheet, it's 4 3 3, but it looked to me sort of like 4 2 4 more often than not. And um, I, I just think that they never really had control of the game to be able to get themselves back into it. You're probably not going to have control of the game at, at the Bernabeu, and that's that's the point, isn't it? Like, and it's you know, it's it's just what Johnny said in his match report. But if you go to the Bernabeu down three goals because you conceded five times at home, you're probably going to lose whatever you do. Like, I feel <laughs> yeah. like sort of getting into the the the, the reads of like, oh, could have done this, could have done that. Mark's just named them. That midfield is is probably better than yours, whatever you you put in terms of controlling possession at home, and I I think there's sort of two. There's almost to me that there's two stories, aren't there? There's it's the story of this tie, which I feel like was realistically decided in the first leg. I know Klopp was talking about a 1% chance and you've got to give yourself some percent chance. But I think even one might have been pretty um, unlikely when you look at the number of times examples we've got of teams coming back from losing by three goals at home in Europe. It doesn't happen. And then there's the big picture story, which is what you were just talking about with Manchester City. And I, I, I do wonder when we look back on this season, if we're going to think of it all as quite a weird season because there was the World Cup in the middle of it and because you've got lots of players whose energies were to varying levels devoted to that, you've got some people for whom I think that has been on an individual level as players, the entire focus of their year. And it's sort of not surprisingly has had some knock-on impact to how they've played for their club sides. And I think all of that's quite hard to unpick. But I do think as well there is a big picture just domestically with Liverpool and and City, which comes to the Mane transfer, which is 
look, you're running to keep up with someone. You're running to keep up with the Terminator, right? Like you're running to keep up with someone who doesn't need to slow down because they can just keep spending. They can keep refreshing. And I think that at some point, Liverpool weren't going to be able to stay there with City every season. Whether they can be back there in a season, maybe. But I think realistically, anyone trying to run that race with City sometimes is going to take a step backwards. Hmm. I, I it was interesting what Johnny said in... Uh, about you know late era Wenger feel about this side. I don't. I mean, Nikki, you obviously remember that era very well. Um, is that fair? I mean, I suppose you just don't know yet, do you? You just you don't know. You can't predict if this Liverpool because like when, when they beat Man United seven nil, you go actually, there really are the you know there the, are the shoots of recovery. That seems like a really way of understating beating Man United seven nil. But then if you look at their fixes, they've got City, Chelsea, and Arsenal after the international break. Like getting those three, that is a that is a killer. And to get fourth, fourth might be out of out of the question by the end of that. I, I think it's sort of, it's sort of definitely too early to say a, a late Wenger era. I mean, the, the late Wenger era for me was sort of characterised by this feeling that even someone who's, I guess, originally creative and, and, and different thinking as Wenger had been trapped in his own thinking. He was stuck in his own logic. He couldn't find his way out of his own patterns that he was repeating over and over again. And I, I think it's way too soon to say that about Jurgen Klopp. It's way too soon to say Klopp is, is trapped in that because he's having one difficult season, which could be pulled out to a lot of things to a World Cup in the middle of the season, could be pulled out to the fact you've got Sadio Mane's going, you haven't quite replaced that one player as well as you could have done. I, I think it's it's too early to say that. Um, and yes, on a, a sort of the the micro level, you could look at this game again and say, well, was that four two four a bit too much? Sort of the fantasy of heavy metal football, the fantasy of oh yes, we can we can do this. Just put all the attackers on and and, and go for them and and crash into them with all that energy and all the work. But I I think it's yeah, it's it's too early to accuse the manager of being stuck in his own thinking when it's one bad season in however many it's been for Klopp at Liverpool now. Um, Jonathan, as a, for Real Madrid. I mean, they just win this competition, don't they? And and like, we'll look at, you know, after we talk about the Napoli game, we'll look at those eight and, and decide who we think might win it. But whenever we see them, as somebody who doesn't watch La Liga week in, week out, you sort of watch Real Madrid in the Champions League and just think they're just so efficient, they're so ruthless. But how are they that far behind Barcelona in La Liga? I think a lot of it is to do with the fact that the squad maybe is a little bit light in forward areas. I thought that was demonstrated when... Benzema went off, obviously, and, um, you know, the, the options, obviously, Rodrigo, Danny Ceballos, you know, Asensio. I think Asensio is a quality player, but I'm not sure they have that depth, really. I do think they will need a striker for next season, potentially. I know they signed the young uh, Brazilian Endrit, but I, I feel like Benzema's had a lot of games this season where he's, he's missed in the league and, and, and things like that. So, you know, he's had more injury problems. Obviously, the goal he scored, he had to go off straight after with a knock to his shin. I think he said he'd be fine for the El Clasico, which is obviously this weekend, but I think that's that's the that's the key part that's that's maybe hampered them a little bit. Defensively, you know, in the Champions League they've been quite quite good. You know, Rudiger and, and Militao defended really well last night and really passionately. Um, Vinny pulled off that nice little break dance for the assist to uh, Benzema as well. Um, bit of an MC Hammer kind of like uh, break dances assist there for the, the flicking it onto. Sad he wasn't wearing MC Hammer trousers while doing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he's been you know exceptional this season, but I, I just feel like maybe they're lacking one one top forward and it'll be. Intriguing to see who they go for because there's not that many options on the market maybe for them that are kind of Real Madrid level. I think that is the key. But Barcelona have been very good and very consistent as well. They're also ahead of you know in the, in the Spanish Cup as well. They've got I think there's a second leg to come. But I think that's that's the main reason maybe Benzema just slightly getting on in years and hasn't quite been replaced to the same level as you know Camavinga, Chouameni have come in and um, they're ready to sort of nearly replace the likes of Cruz and, and Modric who in that midfield. So, I think that's the main reason, uh, really. But Real Madrid are always dangerous, and in the you know in the last in the quarterfinals, you'd have to be one of the two favourites. I would have thought to to maybe go on and win it. You wouldn't want to draw them. I wonder if there's something in what Jonathan was just saying about the age of a few of those players as well. I think when you've got Modric and Cruz and Benzema as these three big pillars of the team you know that in a one-off game or in a two-legged tie, they're going to raise the game and, and give you their very best. But is it going to be absolutely at that level every single week of a long season with the World Cup in the middle of it? It's fine margins, right? They're not fifth in the table. They're not missing out in the Champions League. They're a few points behind a Barcelona game that's lost twice all season. I think sometimes there might just be something in in that as well, like that, that element of, of tiredness and, and 
ability to raise yourself for every game, perhaps. Yeah, you're just saying Tony Cruz can't do it on a cold night in Girona. Um, <laughs> and my favourite moment of the game was the referee not giving that penalty at the end. I was like, hey, come on, the game's over. Don't bother. But like, sent to the monitor, like, you can't, we can't have another one, please. So he's my hero. He'll probably be sacked now by IFAB for, you know, such an egregious mistake. It was interesting, Jonathan, you brought up, you'll never walk alone. Alan says, is Rail playing You'll Never Walk Alone at the end patronising or a hashtag classy touch? Um, uh, Benji, our BT Sport presenters, hi. Playing You'll Never Walk Alone isn't a nice gesture for the travelling fans. It's shithouser at the highest level. James says, Real Madrid playing that <laughs> song at the end. Surely better followed by Glory, Glory, Man United to go full shithouse. Klopp described it as a really nice gesture. We're two heavyweights who meet each other quite frequently in international football. It's clear we respect each other a lot. And whoever did it, that was a really nice gesture, I have to say. What do you reckon, Mark? Yeah, I, I would I'd be more on the, the cop side of things than maybe um, some of the tweeters. I mean, that song in, in European football now has been adopted by a lot of clubs um, to mean, um, you know, it's not, I, I didn't see it as a dig um, at, at Liverpool. I mean, maybe if Mourinho w- was the manager and, you know, he was dancing across the pitch, you, you'd maybe see it differently. But I actually think that it was, um, from Real Madrid's point of view, a, a sign of respect to, to Liverpool. And, you know, you... Their fans, I think, really enjoyed the trip to Anfield um, a, a couple of weeks ago as well. And yeah, I'd, I mean, I'd love to to think that there, there was somebody there thinking, right, that, that you know, we can really wind Liverpool up here, and you know, maybe Sergio Ramos had, 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 had sort of come back for the evening and sort of be, being part of it. But um, I, I don't think so. No. Do you think they'd have played it if, if Liverpool had got through? It's a different question. No, no, they, no, they wouldn't have done. Um, it's very maybe, easy to be classy when, you yeah. know, when you've had such a comfortable victory. Um, let's talk about Napoli. They won three in leg at Eintracht Frankfurt. They were already 2-0 up. I think had Frankfurt won this one, it would have been even more of a surprise than Liverpool getting through. And Nicky, we can, you know, we've talked about Victor Osman before, but that header just before half time, which basically finishes this game, was absolutely superb, wasn't it? Yeah, it was one of those... Um... I, this is probably like uh, no one will want this to be the reference that you go to, but it felt like a Cristiano Ronaldo leap, one of those leaps where you're just like, God, how have you got that high up in the air? And 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 the thing is, you look at Osman and he is so tall, he is so sort of physically imposing, but actually his his aerial game isn't necessarily the strongest part of his game at all. Um, it's not the, the part that that I sort of most strongly associate with what makes him brilliant. But yes, he is also a massive guy who, who who's got a great leap and and. I think that was a really good header as well. It wasn't just sort of getting up there. It was one of those crosses that he had to generate the power on. I think he's, I, you know, it's 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 strange. I think sometimes I sort of have to remember that not everyone has been watching this guy every week. And I've been having these conversations on on my podcast I make with, with Mina Rizuki about Serie A. Like you run out of things to say about someone. You run out of different ways to say, God, this guy is ridiculous. He's He's brilliant. Um, but he really, really is. He's 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 something else. And um, I think the only worry that I can possibly have with Osimhen uh, is the one that came after second goal, which is you keep worrying he's going to hurt himself because he keeps throwing himself into every situation with the same commitment as like the, the kid in the playground while simultaneously being brilliant. He's also got that level of willingness to put his body in every in every spot at every time. And um, how's that going to end? every time you, you worry about but as long as he's healthy he's he's incredible he's an extraordinary footballer yeah I thought he'd broken his wrist and then just went oh just a bit of tape will be fine it's only a flesh wound um I, it is amazing Nikki that this is the first time they've ever got to the quarterfinals I just you know just I just presumed they'd have played in some finals with Maradona you know and and so their fans must be it just must be such an extraordinary time for their supporters yeah, so they'd gone further in the other European competitions, of course, so just not in in the big one. And I, I think that's what's sort of so astonishing about this whole season. And people sort of have been asking me recently, and it was being asked even yesterday, I think, on Five Live about Scalia and Maradona, and is this going to be like someone who can make the fans not forget Maradona, but now he's no longer going to be just Maradona. And I think, first of all, no, Maradona's always going to be Maradona. The stadium's named after him, right? And he's going to be the one who 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 got them their first titles forever. He and I think what's different, and this is almost what's sort of the the big thing for me with this Napoli team is when you go back and look at those old Napoli sides that did win the league twice, 
Sure, there were some other players there who, who were good players. You had Bruno Giordano in the team. You had Ciro Ferrara in the team. There were other good players. But the team was Maradona. Maradona was the reason that they could win the league two times. And the reason that this team is 18 points clear in, in Serie A, that it is through to the quarterfinals of a European Cup for the first time ever, is because it isn't just one player. Victor Osserman is is extraordinary, is the one who I think is going to get the, the huge transfer this summer because of just he's become unignorable. But you've also got Kvaratskhelia, who is the single sort of greatest out of nowhere revelation I can think of in European football for a long time. You've got Piotr Zielinski, who I think was a couple of seasons ago, the single most important creator hub of this team. And now I'm not even sure if he's the second or third most important in that midfield because Lobok has become this extraordinarily consistent orchestrator of the midfield who brings things together and Guisa from Fulham who's become the the sort of the difference in that midfield because he's the one who'll dribble the ball he'll he's the one who'll carry it and, and do different things with it and then on top of that the defense with with Min Jae who's come from again for a lot of people's radars nowhere certainly not expected to step in and be a replacement for Kaladu Koulibaly who was brilliant for Napoli for so many years so I think the difference and the reason that they've through to a quarterfinal this time. Of course, there's circumstance. The European Cup used to be different. You only qualified if you won the league. You only got that chance more rarely. And you went straight to knockout rounds where your draw was going to, to make a big difference. And there wasn't the same seeding as there is now. So there's lots of reasons they hadn't gone to a, a quarterfinal before. But I think there's also sort of needs to be emphasised. The reason they're in a quarterfinal now it's not even like the two other Italian clubs who've done some clever things and got cute and got through ties. They've got to the quarterfinal now emphatically and arrive in the quarterfinals as a team that everyone is scared of. It's it, they're, they're, they're swanning into the quarterfinals as a as a, a real giant in this competition. And I think that's it's an incredible testament above all to Luciano Spalletti, the manager, who's, who's fashioned something um, even more than the sum of its parts. Uh, it's worth mentioning the trouble before the game. Um, it's quite hard to get a handle on exactly how widespread it was, but it seemed to be that Eintracht Frankfurt ultras joined in with Atalanta ultras. And there was a rivalry between Atalanta and, and Napoli that probably not many people know about. And Atalanta played them at the weekend. So I don't know if the hooligans are just, oh, we'll just stay down for four days and then run amok. But they sit, there were, you know, and I don't know if you may know more than me, Nikki, or, or someone else might about exactly what happened and how widespread that was. Yeah, so this is something that was was brewing before the tie. There was some trouble in Frankfurt with um, fans who ambushed some Napoli fans while they were out there. The uh, Italian authorities banned Frankfurt from Frankfurt fans from travelling to the game. Uh, this led to some back and forth. There was a disagreement between within Italy. The the it was the Interior Ministry who banned the travel. Then you had local authorities in Naples saying, "No, no, no, we don't need to do that." You had. Cheffer in at UEFA saying it's outrageous that the Italians have banned the, the Frankfurt fans from travelling. They shouldn't be allowed to do this. And in the backdrop of all that, yes, uh, you had a group of a few hundred fans who managed to get hold of tickets, uh, seemingly mostly through connections with the Atlanta Ultra groups. Now, ultra politics is something else. And uh, you could dedicate several podcasts to all the relationships between different ultra groups in Europe. But to put it in the simplest terms, this is not unheard of. Lots of ultra groups across Europe have um, close relationships and have you, you see fans from clubs travel to essentially go and fight alongside ultra groups from that they're, that they're affiliated with. That's nothing new, sadly. Um, but the way this unfolded was you had a few hundred Frankfurt fans who basically set up shop in the middle of Naples and especially given what had already happened in Frankfurt, some Napoli uh, pockets of Napoli fans who saw an opportunity to take some revenge and exactly how the, the, the fighting starts. I wasn't on the ground, so I'm not going to, to hazard a go at that, but certainly what you end up with is an absolute tinderbox in the middle of Naples where you have police failing to break up the beginnings of this fight and it develops into something really, really dangerous. It's extraordinary that no one gets killed, honestly, because you had Molotov cocktails being thrown, you had a police car set on fire, you had absolute chaos um, going on. And it was, um, in the end, they managed to sort of get the Frankfurt fans back on buses and take them back to the hotel. They didn't, they weren't allowed to travel to the stadium. So at the stadium, there wasn't that travel, but um, it was a, a horrendous scene, really, really dangerous, nasty scene in the middle of Naples. And um, 
some big questions, I think, uh, not just for the local authorities, certainly questions for the authorities, but also for UEFA about how this is all allowed to happen. Hmm. Um, so the quarterfinalists then, Jonathan, Benfica, Chelsea, AC Milan, Inter Milan, Man City, Real Madrid, Bayern and Napoli. I mean, I know you said, you know, Real, you don't want to draw them. I mean, Bayern, you don't want to draw them. City, you don't want to draw them. Who do you want to draw in this? The two or three teams that are probably favourites for me are Bayern, um, City and Napoli. I think, I, think, I think if you look at it from a Napoli perspective, I wouldn't want Bayern or City right now. I think Bayern already shown they can pocket Messi and Mbappe. So, you know, Kravachkalia and, and Ossiman, even though they're in such good form, I think Bayern have just got that nous. Um, City on their day can sort of tear anyone apart. I think I think Napoli could actually beat Man City, but over two legs, I think that would be the biggest challenge for them. I think maybe in like a one-off final, I could, I could see Napoli beating Man City, but over two legs, I, I'm not sure they would. Everyone else is kind of quite an open, open. Um, quite it's almost like open, open season really. Anyone is there for the taking. I, I kind of was th- looking at it last night and thinking to myself, is this going to be another year where Chelsea just sort of swoop in and win the Champions League? It seems to be their kind of like modus operandi where they kind of have a terrible season, everyone criticises them, you know, and then out of nowhere they kind of win the win the European Cup. Um, they've done it, you know, in the past with Di Matteo, obviously, and, um, and th- this season has some parallels to that in a way. Um, and if you actually look at their squad, they have a really, you know, really powerful squad now. I was thinking, for example, if they were to draw Benfica, you've, you've got the Enzo Fernandez story going back to, you know, his, his former club, for example. Um, how would that play out? So... Yeah, in terms of who would you want to draw, it, it, it depends. And you know, some of the smaller, smaller, uh, smaller so-called smaller teams left in the draw, they're still going to be dangerous on their day. You know, M- Milan, for example, you, you're not going to want to really um, necessarily play them. It's not like you're going to be cheering to get them in the draw. But I think for me, Bayern and City are the ones that you probably want to maybe either have in a semi or a final, rather than sort of now where um, they're, they're quite dangerous uh, to, to to face. I think Jonathan's been quite kind to um, to to Milan. Um, I, you know, there's only one thing you can you know you, you can draw out, and I think you'd want them. And I suppose next would would probably be Inter. Um, and that's not to say that they're terrible and can't get a result against most of these teams. And I suppose that in itself becomes the question mark for Napoli as to just how good they are, um, because we have got three Italian teams in the quarterfinals, but. I'm still not sure of the standard of, of, of the two Milan clubs. So um, I would like to, just from a neutral point of view, I'd love to see Napoli against Manchester City and see whether Lobotka and, and Guisa can get through that press and, you know, do what they've been been, been doing. Um, the one thing we haven't spoken about, I suppose, is Benfica, who, again, would be, I suppose, in, in this field would be considered, I suppose, one of the weakest teams. Um, you know, if you just look at it logically with their their finances and you know the, the strength of the Portuguese league. But whenever I watch them, they excite me and they play such great football. So I would take. I, I think I'd take them above the the, the kind of two Milan um, teams and agree with Jonathan about Chelsea. They they've got nothing to play for now, so they you know, the whole season just rests on the Champions League and. Um, they have done it before in similar circumstances, particularly that first time with um, Di Matteo when he was in charge and actually beat Napoli, I think, in, in the last 16 of that. I, 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 to- I totally agree with Mark about Benfica, by the way. I think Benfica is being slept on just because they're not from one of the big leagues and, and how good they are is probably being underestimated. But I, I just want to say as well on Napoli, I, I really enjoyed Luciano Spalletti after the game. was sort of thrown the Pep Guardiola saying how good you are line. And... I feel like they've been, this is classic Pep, right? It starts bigging up the other European clubs he's been watching and how good they are. And a lot of managers go, oh, that's very flattering. And Spalletti was just like, we know what he's doing. He's trying to put us up there and, and say that we're good so that they can knock us down. We spend 9 million to their 900 million euros. There's no comparison. So I, I liked that he called called out the Pep sort of flattery right away. All right, that'll do for part one. Part two, uh, we'll uh, do a bit of the other European stuff and look back at those two Premier League games last night. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, so Manchester United are 4-1 up against Real Betis. That's an early kickoff. Uh, Arsenal 2-0 with Sporting Lisbon. That'll be interesting to see what kind of lineup 
uh, Arteta goes for. They've got Palace at the weekend. We'll get onto Palace's game last night in just a second. And then the international break. Hopefully, we'll remember to cover the Europa League on Monday. I know sometimes we forget, and I apologize. Such a long time ago, we forget. Um, likely that all four teams will be wearing their home kit. So, green versus red in both games. And I like both teams wearing their home kit, but though that is a nightmare for colorblind people. And uh, UEFA regulations state there must be clear contrast between each team's first choice and second choice outfield player attires. Uh, but there's no specific provision for clashes that could impact those with color blindness, which affects one in 12 men and one in 200 women. Uh, talk to me, Mark, about... Well, actually, I'll go to you, Jonathan. Had you heard of Gift Orban, the best gift since Gift and Noel Williams before last night? Had you been watching his progress for years? Uh, I had heard of him before last night. Of course um, you had. Yeah. <laughs> purely because, obviously, um, I quite enjoy Scandinavian football, so... Um, he, he he had a spell at Starbeck in his Norwegian seconds here. Sorry, can I ask, can I just stop? Can I, how do you find the time to watch the Norwegian <laughs> second division? Uh, do you, uh, how is that possible? I, I mean, I wouldn't say I watch sort of every game in the Norwegian second division, but right, okay. I'd, just like to, I, I would, I'd keep an eye on it, let's put it that okay. way. And, um, it's incredible. Yeah, I don't know, football, f- football geek, I guess. That's, that's the mm. bottom line of it. No, it's tremendous. He came almost out of nowhere. He was playing for a team in Nigeria called Bison FC. And um, there's a quite a well-reputed agent who works, kind of operates in Nigeria to, to Scandinavia, at an EK. Um, he was involved with that that for Fana, for example, to Chelsea. And he's done a lot of Nigerian-based players or African-based players to to Scandinavia. And that's kind of their launch pad. Orban was doing quite well. He, he had a loan. that Starbeck wouldn't actually sign him. They loaned him from the Nigerian club. And he did so well in, in uh, Norwegian second tier. I think he scored, he scored a crazy amount of goals in about three or four months that that Gent, uh, Gent came along and just said, right, we'll sign him after, you know, hardly half a season. Now he's gone there and he's, he's, he's scoring goals for fun. He's he, he scored, I think, 12, 12 goals in, in nine games, I believe, in Belgium already. Uh, so I had heard of him from that point of view because there's already a lot of talk about potentially moving on already. But obviously the hat-trick last night in three minutes is is ridiculous, to be honest. It's actually and, mad, right? So, yeah, so <laughs> it was, uh, they went to Istanbul, Bazaxa here, Ghent, and it was one all in the first leg. And then he scored in the 31st minute, the 32nd minute, and the 34th minute. I was slightly annoyed he didn't score in the 33rd, if I'm honest. Just bang, bang, bang. Insane. Do they stop the clock when the celebrations are on? Or, you know, that, that can't be cumulative. Like That's, that's, well, no, that, I mean, that is. Maybe, maybe he was so desperate, he just got the ball. And like David Platt, right, ran back when I'm getting another one in a minute. <laughs> anyway, gift or ban is someone to look out for. Um, uh, let's go to the Premier League. Brighton beat Palace. 1-0, uh, Ed Ahrens was there for the Guardian after four years and seven games. Brighton finally ended their winless run against Crystal Palace. Nick's is following uh, March 15th minute, scoring on March the 15th. Is this the first time this has happened? David May scored on May the 8th in 1995 versus Sheffield Wednesday in the fifth minute, which was close, but no cigar. It's a it's a brilliant goal, Mark, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I just sort of expect it now from Brighton, these, these brilliant goals, these... Sort of brilliant, um, you know, from Mitoma, the best player I'd never heard of a year ago. Um, this is just, I, just a wonderful um, footballer. Um, and Marchers, you know, he was somebody under Graham Potter that really struggled to to finish off um, those sort of movements. He'd have a he'd have a fair amount of shots and he'd get into the right positions and um, he just wasn't sort of scoring the kind of goals that you would expect for somebody that got into those areas really. But now he's added um, goals to his game. Um, and I mean, I think I said the last time I, I was on that, I, I thought that Brighton were really in the top four hunt. And, you know, that, that just remains the case. Obviously, a slightly disappointing result on Saturday. And that shows how far Brighton have come that you're going, oh, they, you know, they've dropped points at Leeds. But this game, strangely, they probably wasn't as dominant as other matches they've been against Crystal Palace that they've failed to win. Um, this time, you know, only from 11 shots, they, they've managed to get the victory. And, um, yeah, that they really are, um, you know, pushing for that that Champions League um, position. Got the games in hand. Um, not an easy fixture list, but um, you know, I, nobody really. You saw earlier on, nobody wants to play Real Madrid. I mean, in the Premier League terms, you know, anybody that plays Brighton now, I just don't think will fancy that that game. Yeah, over ten days in April, they've got Spurs, Chelsea, and Manchester City. They've still got to go to the Emirates as well. But then you know, like going to Spurs is an opportunity to beat a side who are also going for the top four. They're uh, six points behind Spurs with two games in hand. Newcastle, two points ahead of them on the same games and they're on the same points as Liverpool 
and have played a game fewer. I mean, easier if you probably just looked at a table. No one's going to be able to draw that <laughs> picture in their head. Well, anyway, look, Palace did start well, and Eduardo and Elisa had such big chances. And they did have three shots on target in the first 10 minutes, Jonathan, which is more than they'd had in their previous three games. Three more than they'd had in their previous three games. And Matt says, will Palace still be 12th even when we're relegated? How much do you fear for Palace, Jonathan? I fear for them. I, I do fear for them. I think they might go down, to be honest. I think that their best player is available uh, to talk to other clubs. Wilfried Zaha, uh, there's been a lot of rumours about maybe a lucrative offer to move to sort of Saudi Arabia. Maybe slightly distracted, has had some injury problems. Uh, they, they can't seem to get a shot on target. They can't seem to score. Um, I have, don't think they've won. In, they haven't won in 2023 in the league, which is kind of strange because, as you said, how are they still sort of 12? Um, it's, it's, it's weird. They seem to hover just above the table. But if, if you look at some of the other teams around that area, I, I feel like Palace, they really, really lack goals. Elise and Eze are, are good players, good technical players, and, and they get forward well. But I, I feel like Vieira hasn't really figured out a way of really getting that team to to click and in forward areas. I know Eduard and Mateta are kind of, they've been criticised, but they, they can't be that bad in front of goal. I mean, they they can, I guess, can't they? I mean, they could be. They, they could be, but I feel like the manager has to, is, is maybe going a little bit under the radar in terms of performance, um, Vieira. At, at Nice, he had similar issues, I'll be honest, when he was in France. So this isn't something maybe unexpected. Um, I thought they won't go down last season, but I'm, you know, maybe I've jumped the gun one year because because of what happened to Vieira at Nice. It was a similar situation, really, um, management-wise. But to his credit, he, he has sort of built quite a nice team. They're, they're quite likable. I, I enjoyed the TikTok where he was trying um, Wilfried Zaha's chicken and Jeffrey Schlup's chicken recipes. Um, I don't know if anyone's seen it, but yeah, there's a, there's a, a palace with it. I haven't, but you know, like, would you, you know, when they say, you know, Wigan fans would always say, look, we'll take the cup and relegation. And Birmingham fans would say the same. Would would Kevin Day say, I'll take the relegation because of the TikTok with Jeffrey Schlupp's <laughs> chicken? I don't know. I'm not sure if it's enough. It's, it's not going to be much consolation to Palace fans that uh, that uh, Patrick Vieira enjoyed uh, Jeffrey Schlupp's chicken <laughs> recipe. But I do worry for them. I, I think they're in a bit of trouble. Yeah, word on Joe Whitworth in goal, the youngest goalkeeper to appear in a Premier League game since Sunderland's Ben Anik in December 2005. He actually had quite a good game, uh, so well done to him. Um, Southampton-Brentford, not a classic. I don't want to write off Southampton because every time we write off a team, then they win their next one and they're playing Spurs next. <laughs> Mark, a goal and an assist for Ivan Tony. The England squad is named today, I think. Will he be in it? I don't think he can be. Um, I mean, this might age terribly um, if he's in. I mean, on in terms of ability and sort of what he does, yeah, he should be in it. Um, I, I, I don't think you can make an argument against him. Um, his physicality is, is one thing, but there's much more to his game um, than, than just that. I mean, I didn't, I didn't appreciate that there was all this going on in the background when he wasn't named in the World Cup squad, and I felt his penalty taking alone for somebody, you know, when you have got such big squads allowed now, I would have taken him um, to the World Cup and just brought him on um, if uh, it didn't get to that stage. But if in- Perhaps in the 83rd minute against France, possibly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, what after timing that would be, he should have come on. But, you know, had he gone to a shootout, just there are very few players in the world that you'd want to take a penalty more um, than, than Ivan Tony. I, I just think what's going on um, now for him with, with, with the betting, um, you know, he's admitted to, to many um, of, of the kind of, you know, the, the, the reports have been put against him. So I think I think it's difficult for Gareth Southgate to select him. If you're talking about just ability-wise, um, you know, he, he's got so much to offer. Um, and he, he, he saw that with the two goals. The first one... Um, you know, just sneaking in round, round the back post and Brentford so good on sort of marginal gains with, with stuff like set pieces. But it's the second goal, the flick that puts, um, Visa through. Um, you know, there, there just aren't many players like him, um, in, in the Premier League that are just able to offer that real target man option. And when he played against Manchester City, um, you know, when, when they won at the Etihad, he, you know, City just couldn't deal with, with, with Ivan Tony. So, um, for, from the point of view of, of England, he should, he should be in on ability, but I, I just don't think he can be until this is all sorted out. Duncan says, how has Southampton's Nathan Teller scored as many open play goals for Burnley in the past five days as Southampton themselves have since Halloween? 
Um, so Saints at bottom of the league. Uh, they're playing Nathan Teller, who is on loan at Burnley, um, as uh, scoring lots of goals for a team at the top of the championship. Nathan Teller, 10 goals since the end of the January window, 19 goals for the season. Southampton, four goals since the end of the window, 20 goals all season. Um, uh, but yeah, you probably won't want to go back. Imagine getting dragged back after Southampton go down and Burnley go up. They say, sorry, we want you back. Anyway, that'll do for part two. We'll look ahead to the FA Cup quarterfinals and the Premier League uh, in part three. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. So our FA Cup quarterfinals, Nicky, are Manchester City, Burnley, Sheffield United, Blackburn, Brighton, Grimsby and Manchester United, Fulham. Um... I mean, Vincent Company going to City is a great story, isn't it? And Burnley playing so well, and you hope, and they're so far clear at the top of the championship that they could just put their best team out and absolutely go for it. Yeah, and if it was any team except for City, you might think, oh, that'd be enough, when, couldn't it? But it's City, and, and City's resources run run so, so deep. Yeah, I think it should be a great game. I mean, it's not just the Burnley top of the league, is it? They're scoring goals in absolute buckets, so the, the, the sort of potential for there to be an entertaining open game of football. Maybe maybe Pep will get into his head and overthink it when he sees Vincent Company. He'll say, oh, Vincent knows my plans. He knows what I like and and start messing with things. But that's the tie of the round for sure. Yeah. I mean, it'd be, be great, Jonathan, if City and United went out and you just had this sort of mad sort of, okay, Fulham are obviously a good side, aren't they? But And Brian are doing very well as well. But like just a sort of no big sides in the semifinals. I mean, imagine who sponsors the FA Cup now? But they'd be, is it, is it Emirates still? They'd be absolutely gutted with a Fulham, Fulham Brighton and Blackburn Burnley semi-finals. But it'd be quite, I find it slightly refreshing, I think. It'd be nice for Grimsby if they were to get sort of that far. Um, yeah. That's, that's one of the, the big stories really, isn't it? And it's a huge thing for the town. Uh, I have a friend who actually lives in Grimsby and he was telling me how everyone's kind of uh, dressed up in, I don't know, cod outfits and sort of, you know, like everyone's, everyone's really up for it. And, you know, they travelled in numbers, obviously, to, to Southampton, I think, in the last round. <laughs> Sorry, I love the idea that, you know, while they are in the quarterfinal of the Cup, that whole right since the fifth round, everybody in Grimsby is dressing as a fish. It's, a, it's an utterly tremendous commitment to their FA Cup run. I remember when Cambridge got to the quarterfinals in 1990 and, you know, they went, there's a buzz around the town and someone just went to the city centre and went, Big game tomorrow, and literally no one had a clue it was happening. <laughs> You're like, that's the buzz around the footballing hotbed that is Cambridge. But yeah, oh, it'd be brilliant for Grimsby. Yes, Mark? Well, yeah, I just wanted to say on, on Grimsby, I mean, obviously a great story. A League Two team have, have reached the quarterfinals, but their manager, Paul Hurst, has had, I would say, a really up and down sort of time as as manager. I mean, when he was at Grimsby the first time around, he did absolutely fantastically well, which got him a move to um, Shrewsbury. They reached the League One playoffs and they had, um, you know, uh, Ben Godfrey on, on loan. They had Dean Henderson on, on loan as well. And he managed to take them to the League One playoffs just missed out. They then he then gets a job at Ipswich, which you know from Grimsby to Shrewsbury to Ipswich is a really big move. It went terribly um, for him at Hip- Ipswich, and he wasn't there very long. Um, and he was kind of mocked out of town, really, just not being any good um, for them. Then went to Scunthorpe, um, and he had, he had to go all the way to, back down um, to, to Grimsby. Got them out. Um, of the, the National League and now taking them to an FA Cup quarter final. So, um, you know, I, I, I fear for them at Brighton. I mean, the, um, the way that Brighton play it can be very difficult even for Premier League teams to keep tabs on them. But uh, in, in, I think in the current sort of climate of, um, sort of where Premier League teams are at and even championship teams to be able to reach the quarterfinals. And I think they've knocked out, is it five teams from sort of higher up the, the pyramid along the way? Um, yeah, just really, you know, big shout out to, to Paul Hurst. This this might be a, a question with no answer, but I, I, I was just curious because Grimsby have got a, a the goalkeeper from New Zealand, haven't they, Max Crookham? And I was just wondering if that was one of those stories that has... Um, carry over and I know you're in Australia not New Zealand isn't it? very different countries they've got some distance between them but you're closer than we are Max and I was wondering if that's one of those stories that's like it's getting picked up and is there like the local sort of angle story that gets picked up when there's that when that's happening I categorically say I had no idea of the nationality of the Grimsby goalkeeper until about eight seconds ago and now now I know I'll I'll do some investigative work no no it hasn't got to Australia but perhaps it is all the talk of Dunedin and Christchurch. I'm pretty sure he came from the A-League. Um, yeah, anyway, 
Uh, well, I'll ask, I'll, I'll ask the lads tomorrow and okay. see if they know. <laughs> uh, in the Premier League, uh, Forrest playing Newcastle on Friday night. Uh, Forrester supporting their midfielder, Gustavo Scarpa, after he lost almost a million pounds in a cryptocurrency scam. Um, he's gone back to Brazil to deal with the matter. Uh, he appeared in court in his homeland trying to regain his money, according to reports in Brazil. Uh, Steve Cooper said, I can tell you that he's had some personal issues to sort out. We're giving him our support. Um, we did do a crypto special a while ago. I was, I was, I researched it. I did the script. I hosted it. I didn't understand any of it, so I don't know if any. I don't know if we did a great job on that pod. But anyway, uh, it's sad news for him. Villa played Bournemouth, Brentford, Leicester, Saints, Spurs, Wolves, Leeds, Chelsea, Everton on Saturday, uh, Arsenal, Palace on Sunday. And I guess Nicky, look, we're sitting in the cup. Such a great chance to go eight points clear. You know, just to sit there. I know there are no games in the international break, but just for the league table to look like that psychologically would be huge, right? It would, it would. I, I can't, honestly, Max, it, it's ridiculous. It's pathetic. But like, I've got to the point with this, that it's, it's actually stressing me out, like on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> like, the Arsenal actually are in a place where they could win the league. Um, it's, it still seems so um, unlikely to me. But yes, I agree with you. Going eight points clear. Given that, I do think it's such a cliche, but I think it's still true that, that there aren't that many easy games out there at the moment. You're seeing it week to beat with City and, and Arsenal, that games that on paper look like the easy ones aren't turning out to be easy. If you can make that eight-point gap, you're, you're putting a lot of pressure on the team behind to keep chasing. Um, it's the most interesting thing. What will Gary Lineker's opening line be on match of the day? <laughs> Everybody will be uh, tuned into that. I pres- my guess is he, he... Do you not reference it at all? What do you do? What's your tactic there? Is it a sly nod? What does he, you know... This is stealing from Twitter, but there's definitely like an easy line about strikers, isn't there? When you've got Alan Shearer yeah. alongside you and, and Gary yeah. Nicker. No, that is true. Yeah, that's maybe he'll just go. He'll go route one with that. Um, anyway, fun to find out. Sheikh Jassim bin Hamad Al Thani, the uh, uh, just runs a little bank in Qatar. Uh, he's uh, emerging as the favourite to buy Manchester United ahead of Sim- Sir Jim Ratcliffe. Apparently, each party due to hold face to face. Meetings with the club executive uh, this week. Uh, on the subject, we talked about the the 4018 World Cup and we were very critical of it. It was very naturally critical of FIFA. That's what Gab Marcotti wrote quite an interesting article saying, actually, now this is only like four teams playing one more game each, actually, in the grand scheme of things. This isn't the this isn't like the you know, the the mouse that sunk the boat or the straw that sorry, a spoiler for who sunk the boat, the book, by the way, for the kids. Uh, <laughs> or, you know, the straw that breaks the camel's back. I don't know what, what you think, Mark, if that is. Yeah, I think Gab's wrong um, on this one. I think he's trying to find um, another view. I mean, the, the biggest problem I've got with it is that um, you don't get a natural path into a last 16. And so this best third place, um, I just think it's a nonsense best third place. It it, it can ruin um, the group stage. The group stages were fantastic in the World Cup um, this time around. And I know that FIFA have said that's the reason why um, that they, they have sort of stayed at um, sort of 14 groups, um, but you still leave yourself open to um, mutually beneficial sort of draws, um, you know, later on. So you'd be better off having 64 teams. I mean, that wouldn't increase the number of of games for any team, would it? I'd rather go to 64 than 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 have it at 48. I mean, 64 does does feel uh, it oh, does God. feel it does feel it, it um, you know bloated. Um, and you you then wonder about the the level of team um, that that's going in it. So I haven't actually got a problem with increasing the number in just in itself because I think, for instance, Africa really is underrepresented um, at sort of the, the World Cup. Just aren't enough spots. Um, and and you could argue even for Europe, you know, some some big European teams. I know nobody feels that sorry for for European teams. And I'm looking at, at Nicky now, for, you know, Italy. Um, hopefully, would be able to qualify <laughs> in, in future ones. But um, it would. It's more. It's more about um, just the fact. Once you actually get to a World Cup, that third place element of it. I, I just absolutely hate. I hate it for the Euros. Didn't like it before when it was in at the World Cup. Um, it it just it kills it as as far as I'm concerned. I, I I think it's, it doesn't it still feel wrong. Like they were brilliant through the rest of the tournament, and it's not trying to diminish it. But like the Portugal in Euro twenty sixteen finished third in their group. It just it feels wrong that 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 that's possible to win the the tournament while while doing that. We'll strip we'll strip them of the title. <laughs> Michael says any chance you could apologise to Philippe Super Potato is a character on Peppa Pig. Yeah, but that's not Mister Potato Head. There's a very subtle difference 
I would suspect not a subtle difference between Super Potato and Mr. Potato Head. Um, on the subject of uh, the fonts being changed uh, on the Premier League kits, I was looking at the fonts yesterday. I mean, made me watch the Liverpool and Real Madrid fonts. Game, they're wildly different. And Liverpool have different fonts to everyone else. Maybe do they have a different font in the Champions League, the Premier League? Like, does everyone have to have the same font in the Premier League? I don't know the answers to these. And I don't I mean, I'm, obviously, no one else here. <laughs> well, if you do know the answers, I mean, you know, I suppose. If you know, if you're watching Norwegian second division football, Jonathan, you may well be, know the fonts of every European league. For a minute, I thought you said the fonts. I was thinking, like, oh, the fonts. <laughs> yeah, well, that's different. Every club has to change the font. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's each club is required to have one fonts. <laughs> just comes on in a leather jacket, and uh, I'm delighted that you're. You know, you seem young to me, Jonathan, but happy days has <laughs> lasted the test of time, has it? I guess so. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Unless, unless I don't know, if we're talking about the same fonts. And if we're not, I don't know. But, you know. We are, we are. Um, Joe says, I can't believe it. Philippe uses the same font I do. Well, not in this email, as I don't get a choice, but in all my documents. Calibri, baby, affirmation. And Amy went further saying, hi, guys, j'adore Philippe. And like Max, I consider him to be my moral compass on all things football. So when Max put to Philippe the question in yesterday's pod, what font do you use? In the two seconds it took Philippe to reply, I'd already decided that whatever his response, I would ditch my current font of choice and adopt whichever one Monsieur Claire deems the most superior. I would follow on this issue with the same blind faith I have in him on everything else. And when he said Calibri, the font to which I have had a 10-year loyalty, it was genuinely the highlight of my week. I laughed out loud <laughs> on the streets of Madrid while searching for a bar to watch the game last night. Love the pod, love Philippe most of all. Mark, your hand is raised. I, I just can't believe Lars says he doesn't care what font he uses. That sort of made, I felt sort of violently ill at that sort of prospect <laughs> that there are people out there that, you know, just use, you know, just whichever one just crops up. I mean, that's just, that's absolutely crazy, isn't it? What's your, um, what, where, what's your go-to? I mean, I, I sort of live by Google um, Sheets and Docs. I've just got so many of them. I, you know, Arial, um, Sort of about eleven or twelve, sort of in, in terms of number. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I mean, the pod is Proxima New fourteen. Yeah, that, yeah. It's fourteen too big. Uh, it would be for yeah, it would be for me. Yeah, because you just end up with too many sort of paragraphs. It just runs on um, too long for me. Really? Yeah. No, twelve seems my eyesight. And I, interestingly, I mean, I don't know what it's like now, but when I was on local radio, uh, I had an, I had an did an eye test for some sort of terrible report, presumably about eyes. And it transpired that I didn't just have 2020 vision. I actually had 1010 vision, which is better. Oh my God. And, I could, <laughs> and I could be a fighter pilot if I liked flying and war. I don't really like either. So uh, maybe I'll get it tested again. But I, apparently, yeah, I had sort of like extraordinary, I could see the tiny letters from miles away. And yet I like a 14 Proxima Nova for the pod. But no, thanks for your, you know, I'm sorry that Lars made you feel ill, Mark. And, you know, hopefully you can pod together again one day and <laughs> oh, yeah, get through this. Yeah. Maybe after a couple of months. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do for today. Um, thank you, Mark. Thank you, Max. Thanks, Nikki. Thanks, Max. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Max. Uh, Football Weekly was produced by Silas Gray. Our executive producer is Max Sanderson. We'll be back on Monday. This is The Guardian.